This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own image, after his image, in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had a son, sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years, begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 100 year, 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all of the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. He named him Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a body of Christ to worship you and to listen to your word and to have the example of the many men of the Bible who have lived and have followed you after you, God. I pray that you would give Bruce the words to speak, that you would open our hearts to his message, and that we would learn and take away much from it. In your name, amen. Genealogical research is a booming business right now, especially online sites such as Ancestry.com, FamilySearch.org, and MyHeritage.com. In fact, in recent years, it's estimated 60 million people have logged on to these sites to learn more about their families, more about their roots, more about who they are. And when we want to get to know someone well, we usually we seek to meet the person's family. A person's family is not just their background and context, it's an integral part of who they are. In fact, my own family history is one of German descent. Peter Adrian was the first in my family to 
migrate from Russia to the United States back in 1875 with his wife Anna and seven of their nine children. Peter Adrian was 49 years old when he, along with several hundred other Mennonites, left their homes in southern Russia and migrated to the United States here. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean from Antwerp, Belgium, and arrived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on July 25, 1875. And from there, from Philadelphia, they traveled by train to Newton, Kansas. And once in Kansas, they purchased wagons and oxen and supplies and began their way up the prairie, 450 miles to Yankton, South Dakota, where they built a sod house and began the rugged life of living on the prairie where they homesteaded and became farmers. That's my family history. Perhaps you are familiar with our, yours. Perhaps you have no idea what yours is. Here in Genesis 5, we come to the very first of many, many genealogies in the Bible. And as Jeremy read that for us, perhaps some of you were thinking, what is he going to say about this chapter? All these names and dates, what could possibly be in this that is applicable and relevant for my life today? It's just another genealogy. So what do we find in this that has relevance for your life today? Well, this is a genealogy of ten men starting with Adam and ending with Noah. The ten generations of this genealogy specifically cover uh, at least... Uh, 1,600 years, and thus this chapter spans the time from creation all the way to the flood. Moses is giving us a record of 10 men who live by faith in a time of increasing unbelief and rebellion against God and a widespread wickedness on the earth. When we read this genealogy, we are reading more than just a, a dusty list of ancient names. These 10 men standing before us are giants of the faith. Men who refused to follow the prevailing culture of their day, and instead they chose to follow the way of the Lord and actually begin to call on the name of the Lord, as we saw at the very end of Genesis chapter 4, when Enoch or Enosh uh, had his sons and family, and these men began to do that. And yet, there is one overarching lesson in this genealogy that stands out above all the rest. You cannot miss it. It jumps off the pages here. And here it is. Notice it in your notes. From Adam to Noah, we learn that death reigns, but grace prevails. In fact, if you want to write that across Genesis 5 of your Bibles, that is the message of this chapter. Death reigns, but grace prevails. No matter the genealogy, they all have one thing in common. And so this is true of my genealogy, it's true of your genealogy, it's true of this genealogy, and the one thing that is true about all genealogies is death. Every genealogy is one long obituary column of people's names who have all died. And in this genealogy, death reigns across the ten generations. Each man of faith, he lived and then he died. And because of sin, death now has become a regular fact. It has become a reality of our human existence. A few years ago, Richard Niehaus wrote a little book on death entitled, As Long As I Lay Dying, 
And in this book, he writes, we are born to die. Not that death is the purpose of our being born, but we are born toward death. In each of our lives, the work of dying is already underway. He goes on further in the book to write, death is to be warded off by exercise, by healthy habits, by medicinal advances. What cannot be halted can be delayed, and what cannot forever be delayed can be denied. But all our progress and all our protests notwithstanding, the mortality rate holds steady at 100%. Death is the most everyday of everyday things. It is not simply that thousands of people die every day, that thousands will die this day, although that too is true. Death is the norm of existence in the ordinary, the way things are. It is the horizon against which we get up in the morning and go to bed at night. And the next morning we awake to find that the horizon has drawn one day closer to death. Here's the point that he makes in this book. It's the point that Moses is making for us in this chapter here in Genesis 5. We are all going to die. In fact, we are all dying already even as we live. No wonder King Solomon says, as he writes in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. And so death is something that none of us here can escape, and every one of us must come to grips with and must deal with in some shape, fashion, or form. Thankfully, oh, thankfully, God has not left us without hope. When it comes to death, God has conquered death, and he has provided a way for us to have eternal life with him through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul reminds us of this great truth here in the New Testament, in Romans 6.23, where he says, for the wages of sin is what? It is death. And so Paul is just reiterating what Moses is showing us in this genealogy here, that the wages of sin is death, but here's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, yes, the lesson from this genealogy is that death reigns in the human race. But we're also going to see, specifically in this genealogy, that grace prevails in Jesus Christ. So let's unpack it for the next few minutes. Let's look at it here. Two simple points that I want you to take home here with. Number one, death reigns in all men because of Adam's sin. Moses introduces a new section in God's story of redemption. And by the way, let me just pause here and stay. That is the big idea of the whole book of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the storyline of the Bible, of God's word to us, is all about his redemption of humanity. It's, it's God intervening into our history of human being in rescuing us from death's consequences, which is from sin. And so it's the storyline there. And the storyline is simply continuing now of his redemption, of his rescue plan through Jesus Christ of our lives. 
And so we see that here when Moses writes in verse 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. This list of names shows that God is at work through human history. It joins the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 with the story of Noah and the flood, which we will see next Sunday in Genesis chapter 6. It also shows that God has kept his promise to redeem mankind. Listen, God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that through the seed of the woman, he would provide a way of rescue, a way of redemption in the seed of the woman, which we know would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And God made that promise, but he's not only a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. And Moses is showing us that, that God is a promise keeper, and he's preserving that promise to redeem mankind. And specifically here now, Moses emphasizes the life and death of mankind in general. Notice this, a couple of observations. We were created in the image of God and blessed by God. So Moses is going to do a little recap. He's going to do a little review, if you will. Moses recaps the creation and blessing of mankind here in verses 1 and 2. Look at it again. It says, In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind, which is a generic term for humanity, for for both female and male, in the day they were created. This retrospect reminds us that Adam and Eve's fall into sin, listen, it did not obliterate the image of God. This is what gives us value, worth, and dignity as human beings. We are made in the image of God. And as image bearers, as God's image bearers, we are charged to rule the earth as God's representatives for God's glory. And as image bearers, we actually now, we have the capacity to know God, to know our creator, and to have a relationship with God, which is something no other creation can do. Only humanity has that privilege. Moses also returns to this theme of God's blessing of mankind. Just as the image of God has not been obliterated by the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, neither has the blessing of God been totally eliminated. This point needed to be reemphasized after Adam and Eve sin and subsequent loss of paradise. Much has been forfeited. As we are seeing in Genesis 4 through 11, much has been forfeited because of their sin. But much is still possible because of God's grace. And because Adam and Eve still possess the image of God and still possess the privilege of fulfilling the cultural commission that God gave them back in Genesis 2. And that commission, if you remember, is to multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and rule over it. And this genealogy demonstrates that that is what they did because it suggests to us this extraordinary multiplication of humanity. Many Bible scholars suggest that the ten generations structure of this genealogy indicates that it's a selective genealogy with gaps between the ancestors, which leaves room for substantial increase in population. 
In other words, the ten names listed are selective, not necessarily exhaustive, and telescope the number of descendants in order to create a sort of compressed history from Adam to Noah. Here's the point. This genealogy shows the descendants of Adam and Seth living out God's blessing by multiplying and spreading the image of God in humanity, especially as they began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, before moving on, let's kind of pause here for a moment, and let's talk about the obvious that's leaping out of this genealogy as well. And perhaps you're even wondering about it yourself. It's a question you have as Jeremy read through this passage for us, and that's the incredibly long lives of these men. I mean, is this for real or is this myth? I mean, they lived how long? Well, notice this in your notes. Most of the people listed in Adam's genealogy lived over 900 years. And so you cannot read this genealogy and just overlook this. You can't escape how long these men lived. Adam, the first man, lived to be 930 years old. Seth, Adam's son, he lived to be 912 years old. And Methuselah, who was the oldest man who's ever walked on the face of the earth, he lived to be 969 years old. That's almost 1,000 years. I can't even comprehend that. And then Noah lived to be 950 years old. In fact, there was only three men in this genealogy who did not reach 900 years of age. And except for Noah, all of these men lived their entire lives before the flood. After the flood, lifespans dropped rather quickly. Noah's son Shem lived to be 600 years old. The next three generations after him lived into their 400s. But the six generations later, Abraham only lived to be, I say only, 175 years of age. So here's the question, why and how? I mean, why did people live so long in the beginning? And why the big difference after the flood? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why and how people lived so long before the flood. So we can only speculate at this point. It does seem that conditions on the earth were radically different before the flood than after the flood. So perhaps the sudden decline in lifespan after the flood is due to some environmental factors here on our earth. Or perhaps the effects of sin took a few generations to produce negative results in the human body. Perhaps sin's deadening power was gradual instead of immediate. It's also possible that God granted such long lifespans in order for mankind to be fruitful and multiply to populate the earth rapidly and to advance civilization. In any case, here's what we do know. We know that these men really did exist. This is not a myth. This is true. This is literal history here in the Word of God. It's a recorded genealogy. They really did exist, and they really did live for hundreds of years. 
So the descendants of Adam and Seth had substantial reasons for hope at this point in human history. Listen, they fathered thousands of children to whom they passed on the image of God. People who, despite the fall into sin and their own sinfulness, could live in a relationship with God. That is incredible. They could rule the earth as his representatives. They could enjoy God's blessing here on this earth. Nevertheless, this genealogy also alerts us that something is terribly wrong. Something is way off. Something is big time wrong here. Yes, we were created in the image of God. But second, we will die as a consequence of sin. God's word is always true. Satan is a liar that cannot be trusted. Do you remember in Genesis 2 when God prohibited Adam and Eve from eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What did God say would happen to them? God said, you will surely what? Die. And Satan said to Eve, you will not surely die. And so this genealogy here, like all genealogies, shows who was right at this point in the conversation. God's warning was no idle threat. The repeated phrase in this genealogy, and he died. It sounds like a funeral bell. In fact, it rings eight different times throughout the genealogy. The drumbeat of death echoes across the generations. Each man lived, and then he died. In fact, as Jeremy was reading it for us, it's so matter-of-fact. It's so to the point. It's so inescapable. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died eight different times. Human history is one big, long story of people living and then dying. The result of sin is that we die. That is what God said would happen to Adam and Eve, and that is what is now taking place. God's threat was not empty. Sin brings forth death. And so the dark clouds of death here overshadows the long years of life that we see in this genealogy. Adam may have lived a very, very long life, especially in comparison to how long people live today. But still the day came when Adam breathed his last breath and he died. When the body formed by God from the dust of the ground returned lifeless and cold to the ground, just as God said it would. And then his son Seth died too. And his son Enosh died. And I will die. And the same is true for each of us here today. This is the way it is. We are born, we live, and we die. Oh, we should pray with David in Psalm 39, verse 4. Show me, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my 
life. This genealogy is meant to sober us. It's meant to awaken us from the delusion encouraged by the culture in which we live that we will just kind of live forever. That we can somehow just avoid death, avoid dealing with death, avoid the brevity of our life and the uncertainty of our life. But the reality is death reigns and we need to feel the force here of the consequences of sin. We need to feel the force of God's judgment upon sin. Death reigns. That is the message of the genealogy. In fact, notice this in your notes. Death is the consequence of Adam's sin, but get this. And death spread to all men because all sin. Despite technology, despite medical advances, mankind cannot rise above the curse of death. Paul put it this way in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have what? Sin. And so when Adam sinned, he immediately died spiritually. And death in the Bible is always a separation from God. A, a, it's, it's, it's a separation in our relationship with God. That's what took place immediately. He was separated from God, but Adam also began to die physically. His body began the process of growing old and dying. And from that point on, every person born has inherited Adam's sin nature and suffers the same consequences of spiritual and physical death. So Adam's sin brought death to all humanity. But don't miss that Paul also says that death spread to all because all sinned. We are sinners, each of us here this morning, by deed as well as by nature. We sin because we are born with a sin nature and we are sinners because we sin. Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are more than just, quote, potential sinners. We are by nature and by choice, by deed, practicing sinners. And the consequence of our sin is death. Physical and spiritual separation from God. How certain is the fact of your death? Well, it's so certain that an entire business is built on the expectation of your death. It's called life insurance. The only reason anyone buys life insurance is because someday you're going to die. Don't miss the point. Life insurance is based on one great theological truth. Death reigns. And so when you die, the coroner will fill out a death certificate on you. And there's this little space that says cause of death. And this genealogy is teaching us that the answer is always, always, always the same. Sin. So the first lesson from this genealogy is a rather sober lesson. Death reigns in all of us because of sin. But this genealogy is also meant to fill us with hope, which brings us to the second lesson. Number two, grace prevails. And it prevails 
for those who walk with God. If this genealogy just recorded that each man lived and then died, it would be a bleak, bleak picture. But in the middle of this dismal pattern, there is this bright exception when Moses writes in verse 24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And so think of it. Imagine this. In this genealogy that's full of repeated phrases, and he died, and he died, and he died, there's this ray of hope now. Enoch shows us that grace prevails for those who walk with the Lord. And so let's focus on the example of Enoch for just a few minutes here. Notice, rather than merely living, Enoch walked with God. This phrase, walked with God, is, is only used of two people in the whole Bible. It's used of Enoch right here, Genesis 5, and as we will see next Sunday, it's also used of Noah in Genesis 6. Look what Moses says about Enoch here in these verses 21 and 24. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God. So the question that is obvious that we need to stop and answer is, well, what does it mean to walk with God? Because I'm sure we all have our opinions of that, our ideas of that. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, this phrase is an expression, most of all, we could summarize it this way, it's an expression of intimacy. And it describes one's fellowship with the Lord. It describes one's relationship with God. Walking with God also speaks of unwavering or unswerving obedience to God. For the metaphor of walking suggests walking with God in the same direction, depending on Him, and not wandering off on your own to live your own life and do your own thing, which is what we saw in Genesis 4 with the way of Cain. So walking with God is living the way of God. The way of Cain is not walking with God. It's living your own way. And in Enoch's case, he began walking with God after the birth of his son Methuselah. Perhaps he was like many men today who don't get serious in their relationship with God until they look into the face of their first baby and suddenly realize the weight of responsibility that is now upon them as a new dad. And they're like, whoa, I need help in this. I better get serious with God in my relationship with God. And perhaps that's what happened to Enoch. In any case, he walked with God for 300 years, Moses tells us. My wife and I, we love to take walks in our neighborhood. You know what we do on our walks? In addition to walking our dogs, we talk and we enjoy each other's presence. In fact, our routine, many times in the evening time, we will take our walks together and it's a time in which we reconnect with each other after the day, catch up on what's going on and strengthen our relationship with one another. It takes us about 30 to 45 minutes to do our routine of walking through our neighborhood, and it gives us that time. But I've learned this only, only works under certain conditions. 
The first of which is we're walking in the same direction. Can you imagine us coming out of the garage? She has one dog, I have another dog. We get to the end of the driveway. I turn left, she turns right. And we're like, I'm like, where are you going? And she's looking at me like, well, where are you going? Doesn't make for much of a walking together. It's not going to strengthen our relationship. We're not going to have much fellowship if we're not going in the same direction. So that's the first condition. And then the other condition, we have to be going the same pace. We come out of the driveway. She's got one dog. I got one dog. We start walking together. And if I walk too fast, it doesn't work. Now, I'll admit, after 27 years, we got the same direction down. 27 years of marriage, we pretty much are... We walk out of the driveway and we always turn left. That's our routine. We go left, Bill. And so we got the direction down, but after 27 years, the same pace, well, that's still a challenge for us for obvious reasons. I'm tall. My wife isn't so tall, and so I walk a little faster than her, and I'm always like, Darla, where are you at? Catch up. And then she's like, well, slow down. Your legs are tall, longer than mine. And so we're still working on our pace together. And it's the same thing in our walk with the Lord. Because sometimes we want to get ahead of the Lord in our walk with him. We want to know what's here, what's there. Lord, what's the plan here? And we get ahead, and God doesn't always tell us all that stuff. Walk with the Lord. So how did Enoch walk with God? The same way we walk with God, by faith. In fact, Enoch's walk was one of faith, according to Hebrews 11.5. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And so Enoch's faith pleased God. And the next verse tells us what this God-pleasing faith was like in verse 6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Enoch believed that God is who he says he is, that he is the sovereign God of creation who has provided a way to rescue us from the curse of sin through Jesus Christ. Enoch also believed that God rewards those who seek him. That is, Enoch believed that God provides salvation, but he also, get this, he believed the negative side of that. That God judges those who reject him and continue to go their own way. In fact, you go over to Jude, and the little book of Jude tells us that Enoch preached this very truth in his generation. In verses 14 and 15, listen to what Jude says of Enoch. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so what we see is Enoch, he didn't just walk with God in some secluded environment. He preached the righteousness of God, and he warned people of God's coming judgment in the marketplace of his day. Just think, Enoch lived this faith-filled, obedient life of walking with God for 300 years years three centuries and so at the age of 365 while still young in this generation 
Notice the second observation. Rather than surely die, Enoch went to be with God. In one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible, it says in verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And we all want to know, here is the question that's on all of our minds, how did God do this? How did God just take him? And the answer is, we don't know the answer. We don't know how this happened. Perhaps God picked up Enoch in a chariot like he would later do with Elijah, or perhaps God just beamed him up. However God took him, what a way to go. One thing is for sure, Enoch's walk with God took him right into eternity. He escaped the curse of death. But the more important question, rather than asking how God did this, we ought to be asking why God did this. We only have to look at this genealogy to know why God took Enoch. In the genealogy that is consumed by death, God took Enoch for the encouragement of believers and to give them this demonstration of power over death. God did this to awaken them and even to awaken us here now in this generation that there's hope of life beyond the curse of death. We all know what it's like to live in a world where death reigns. I mean, you cannot watch the news. You cannot open up Facebook. You cannot get online. You can barely talk to a coworker, a family member, or a neighbor and not be consumed by death in our world. We have become callous to it, even, because it's so prevalent among us. And so we all know what it's like to live in a world where death reigns. But can you imagine seeing or hearing about a guy with the name of God that's dripping off his lips and the righteousness of God shaping his life, and then all of a sudden he's taken by God into eternity? And if you saw that or heard that, you'd be like, whoa, what just happened? It would have renewed people's hope in the promises of God. It would have caused people to keep calling on the name of the Lord in worship because grace prevails for those who walk with God. Even though death reigns in this genealogy, there is more emphasis here on God's prevailing grace. Notice this in your notes. Enoch he is a standing promise to all who walk with God that eternal life is our final destiny and not death. Folks, listen to me. The reality is we're all going to die. That's clear from this genealogy, but there is also something greater. What was vague, what was a vague hope here in the Old Testament is made clear by Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death we might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so, yes, death looms large over all of our lives. It hangs over us like a cloud. 
In fact, Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The reality is we're all going to die. We're all going to face God and give an account of our lives. Now, that is one sobering truth. Especially if you're not walking with God, but you are running from him. You are living the way of Cain. And it says in Hebrews 10.31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God in that state of life. But there is good news. Oh, do we have good news here at LifeBridge for you this morning. And that is Jesus came to rescue us from this fear of death. Because of sin, death reigns. But because of Jesus Christ, grace prevails and eternal life is available to those who walk with God by faith. Jesus took our death penalty upon himself so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. In his death, Jesus satisfied, get this, the wrath of God towards sinners. And he defeated the powers of evil that hold sway over us in this world. In fact, Jesus' death and resurrection took the stinger out of death. And because of it, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can now be reconciled to God, and we can live with the confident hope of eternal life. In Jesus Christ, we don't have to be scared of facing death. We can stand before God, get this, washed clean by Jesus' blood. We can be clothed in his righteousness, and we can escape eternal death in hell, and we can live with the Lord for eternity in paradise. Listen, I ask you this morning, do you fear death? Are you unsure where you will spend eternity? Then hear these words from Jesus and respond in faith. Jesus himself tells us in John 5, 24, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 3, 16, perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, what, believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, Enoch's life shows us that grace prevails for those who walk with God by faith. Enoch's life, it now begs the question. In fact, his life screams the question out to us this morning. Are you walking with God or are you walking without God? Walking with God, it is not a guarantee of a long life here on earth. I hope you realize that. But it is a guarantee of eternal life with God. Enoch is a picture, in fact, of believers in Jesus Christ who will be 
who will be alive at Christ's coming and who will be taken directly to heaven without dying. This is the blessed hope of every believer to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But those who do not walk with God in this life do not have the hope of eternal life, but only the fear of judgment. The good news is that Peter, that apostle, that disciple you're familiar with, tells us in 2 Peter 3.9 that God, he is patient toward you. You say, why? Why would God be patient towards me? Because he's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. To all to repent of their sin and to come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Listen, don't presume on God's patience. As we're going to see next Sunday, and if you saw last Sunday, God's mercy, there is a limit to it. There is a day in which it will end. Do not presume on the patience and mercy of God. Repent of your sin. Receive his forgiveness and be reconciled to him today before it is too late, before Jesus Christ comes. Because of sin, death reigns. But because of Jesus Christ, grace prevails for those who walk with God. So I ask you again, are you walking with God? Or are you walking without Him? Are you trying to live this life apart from God, apart from the one who has conquered death and can provide you a rescue from the consequences of sin, which is physical and spiritual death for all eternity. And if God is tugging at your heart this morning, respond to him in faith. Cry out to him. We're going to bow our heads here in a minute. The praise team is going to play. And we're going to have opportunity for you to respond. And that response is in prayer to express your heart's desire. There's no magic formula in the words you use, but express, I repent of my sin, Lord. Forgive me of my sins and save me today. I believe in you and I want to put my faith and trust in you, in you alone for my salvation. If you need help in that, if you have questions about that, then come and seek me or someone else in our church after the service. And we can even talk further about this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to live in light of eternity. Thank you for the reminder that death reigns, but grace prevails in Jesus Christ. Help us to cling to Christ by faith and to walk with you. Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you as their Savior and does not have the hope of eternal life, I pray you would move in their heart so they would confess their sin and believe in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise team's going to sing a chorus. As they do, respond right where you're seated. Respond by faith. Obviously, you're, you're welcome to come to this altar and pray as well. However God leads you, respond to him in prayer.